Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Oh, here we go, boys. Go. Love that sound. This is a good one. How's your season going? You know, it's been a different season um, than, <laughs> than most, I guess. I mean, that's one way uh, to put it. Yeah, it started out so slow and just felt like we were never going to get ice. And then we got a little bit of ice and a lot of snow. And yeah, it's just been a really, really weird season. But I feel like we've been kind of due, right? I mean, yeah, well, for sure. In years past, and it's been a long time, like I just mentioned this to a buddy the other day um, because. I'm up here in northern Minnesota, and uh, the listeners of the podcast are well-versed into my dramas up here. I got my four-wheeler stuck late fall, early Minnesota, way back on this remote trail to this lake I wanted to go fish, and sunk that thing in the mud, and then by the time I get back to it, it was frozen. And so it's still there, and it's going to be there until spring. So uh, I've been really limited to where I can fish. Because it's oh for sure, I don't have a machine, and yep. ice conditions are such that I'm not going to baja around blindly with my pickup truck because definitely not. Yep, I don't. I could easily get stuck just in a drift uh, with the slush that's been out there. It seems to have gotten better up here, but that's there is still some slush pockets. And just yep. as I have been walking out and drilling. The, there's still a few times that I'll drill. I'm like, whoa, that popped through awful fast. You know, whereas the last hole I drilled was 
16, 17, 18 inches. So yeah. I'm just not taking that risk. But I thought, man, I haven't had to worry about this in a long time. Not just because I had my wheeler, but even there's plenty of times where I just, I would Baja with around the lake in my truck because the yep. ice was plenty thick. There wasn't that much snow. You know, a foot of snow, I can drive through a foot of snow. That ain't, that ain't a big deal. You know, a four-wheel no. drive, that's that's fine. Yeah. But these conditions have just conspired to make travel without some sort of machine near impossible, and you really yep. need a snowmobile. I mean, there's, I mean, four-wheelers aren't really cutting it in a lot of spots. No, I, I went out and bought it. I mean, I bought a new four-wheeler a couple of years ago, and the way the season was shaping up, I'm like, I'm not going to be able to take this thing anywhere. And so I went and bought a, a used sled, and, Thank goodness they did because there's a lot of places I wouldn't have been able to go to this year without a sled. It, it's it's crazy. So this past weekend, um, I'd have been eyeballing this lake that I want. I was been waiting all winter for the trout season to open up here in Minnesota, and that's I, I'd reached out to you and I'd sent you a message because I know you do a lot of trout fishing, get yep. some tips and tricks, and I don't do a lot of ice fishing for trout. I think I've done it maybe one other time down the cities that courthouse pond and, and Shakopee or wherever the hell it is. Um, so I haven't yeah. really done it serious, but there's, there's a fair amount of the lakes up here, the stocked lakes. So I was like, you know what, maybe that's, that'd be a new adventure for me. I think I'm going to take that on. And of course, you know, the ice conditions that we just talked about. <laughs> yep. So I had plotted out, you know, I'm like, well, there's roads that get pretty close here and it doesn't look like a short, like it's going to be a little bit of a hike to get to the lake, but it'd be worth it, you know? And then this is a lake trout lake. Yep. And the, the DNR server actually looks pretty decent. So I was, I was all pumped up to go try it. And I'm like, well, I should probably figure out my route during the day. So I took Saturday and afternoon. I just drove all over creation. And every route I took to try to get there wasn't going to happen because the roads that look like roads on the map, they're listed as roads on the map. And even Google, map, Google Maps, they're forest roads. And no. they ain't nobody plowing those. So no, nope, definitely not. They, they have they have essentially become um, snowmobile paths. Because the snowmobiles can obviously still use it. And it's nice, clean travel for them. So, uh, yeah. So I'm like, well, I guess I'm not doing that this weekend either. So that nope. was a failed <laughs> mission that just never was. But um, with that said, the the reason like have you on and officially introduce you as i'm already recording here this is blake tollefson i think i said that right tollefson tollefson so the yep. an R. Oh, okay it was, it was 50 50 tollefson all right yeah um, good it's, it was much closer pronunciation than i get from most people, yeah so. yeah it's like my name people it's either going to be luganville or luganville or a long pause and they say how the hell do you pronounce that <laughs> <laughs> yep and then yep. i say it and they look and they're like Oh, that's not that hard. I'm like, yeah, it's really no. not. If you're hooked on phonics, you ought to be able to get damn close. Yeah. Um, but I did want to talk winter trout fishing because you, you seem to do that a lot. Uh, you you have a lot of content, so you obviously are pretty good at it. So, <laughs> I mean, good enough. Let's, let's put it this yeah, way. Good enough to, to sustain some consistent social media content. How about that? <laughs> yep yep we we have a fair amount of trout in my neck of the woods so so i'm thankful to have something different in terms of opportunities like our walleye fishing around here is very mediocre we have some pretty pretty good panfish water 
Yeah, like you, just having something else to do is great. It's yeah, you do. You also pull fun. some good panfish content too. For for just to throw that out there, but we'll get back on track. We'll talk panfish later. Let's let's keep on yeah. subject with trout <laughs> for now. Uh, and so, like, um, what's your? Is it always for the most part in the winter a sight fishing deal? That's what I see. So, I see that a lot. Over here, the lakes that I fish, it's basically impossible to sight fish. Um, really? So I, I've spent a fair amount of time in Minnesota doing it too. You have those clear lakes, but over here, the, the handful of lakes in my neck of the woods that they stock trout in, they're not clear enough that you can actually sight fish. You drop a camera down, you might get a couple feet of visibility, but it's like I, like I said, I've spent some time in Minnesota where you're, you're in 10, 15 feet of water and you can see the bottom, no problem. Um, over here, it's you're not able to. Plus, um, in Wisconsin, you're only able to have a hole as wide as 10 inches, so you can't build those uh, big holes like you yeah. can either. I mean, you can stack holes kind of close to each other, so like if you put you know, one towards the, the front of your shack and then you have one further back and you kind of look down at an angle, that works, but it's not, not nearly as fun as like doing it in Minnesota where you can have kind of this larger hole that you can actually see down. Yeah, basically um, a spear hole. Right. Yeah. It's, I've done that and it's a ton of fun to be able to see that. And once that clear water, you can see them coming in, you know, as far as you're able to see with the kind of the angle you're looking at, but over here, it's a lot of kind of positioning yourself in the right spot and then hoping, hoping that they come through. Um, just because you'll see them on electronics, but a lot of times you're in less than 10 feet of water. So with uh, your typical cone angle, you're only seeing three feet or, or less of the bottom. Right. If they come up suspended, you're really not seeing much at all. It's helpful once they do show up. Um, just so you know you're in the in the right area. You know you're seeing fish. Obviously, you want to get those fish to chase. So having a flasher is helpful in those situations. But it's not going to be as beneficial as drilling a sight hole and just being able to see those fish. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And they don't seem to sit still either. Like do trout ever sit still? No, like it's, uh, I've, the lakes by me, I've been able to get some fish on camera and, you know, you have a bass come through and, you know, you know, a bass actually, what are they just kind of move in slow and they just sit there and stare your bait trout. They come flying through, they look at your bait, go flying through, go flying through. And it's just, eventually they just smoke it. Um, hopefully it's totally different. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. But yes, uh, they seem to do that thing where they, they run up on it and they just do a quick U-term and they run away from it. Like, uh-huh. I don't know what that is. Like, it's a weird, um, like, are they doing that with like natural bugs and minnows and stuff? Like, what are they afraid of? You know what I mean? Like, that's what goes through my head. I'm like, why? Like, this doesn't, this seems like an odd tactic for a predator. Like, I don't, because each time you're kind of alerting your would-be prey of your existence. I, I don't know what the benefit of of that approach is, is evolutionarily yeah, and speaking. Right. I, I totally get it, because you look at uh, literally any other fish, they don't do that. But trout, I mean, lake trout do it, you know, other stock trout do it. And I, I guess I haven't paid enough attention in streams and cricks and stuff to see how they're reacting in those ways. Oh, no, they still do I mean, it. As I, I'll, I, I, yeah. I'll do, you know, river fishing for in the yep. spring for trout and yeah, and they, I'll yep. throw in a spinner or whatever. And yeah, a lot of times they come out and you're like, Oh, he you missed just it. Have, like swipe at it. Yep. But, they didn't, but they didn't, it's not even really a miss. A lot of times, a lot of times I don't even get anywhere remotely close to it. 
They just like yep. zip out of their cover to get a closer look at it, and then they dip back in. And you can move that fish a dozen times, and they just do oh, yeah. the same thing. It's, it's it's the wildest. Like I don't, <laughs> I just don't understand what it, like, like why are you risking leaving cover if you're not actually going to like you're expending that energy to never potentially get the payoff. Like it's a, it's a bizarre evolutionary trait that my brain just has a hard time like why are you doing this this is so weird right. but that is a trait yeah, totally, that totally I've different seen a ton of videos of that which has got to yeah. be kind of maddening on your electronics oh, it is because you're it's you're terrible getting, on electronics you're getting a blip and then it's gone oh and then yep. it's back and then it's gone and then, then it's gone it's like oh my god are you kidding me <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean at least when you can sight fish them you know like oh he just you know came and yeah, he's just outside your He's cone. over there. Yeah, he's over there three feet. You know, you don't have to worry about it. Like, you know they're still there. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Like, it's easy to trick yourself into thinking, oh, well, that fish came, swipe, it's gone. But then 10 seconds later, that fish is right back through. To- you, totally different than anything else. Have you to- toyed with any, like, the front-facing sonars? Um, not through the ice, I like have. I do have it okay. on, my, on my boat. Um, and so I've used it in chasing trout in those kind of ways. But I haven't tried it through the ice. Um, I, I know people that have it. I know people that have used it for trout, um, but I personally haven't played around with it. Uh, I asked because I don't like. I, I don't know if it would help <laughs> because they just constantly move. It's not like you're gonna, you know, when you're using live scope, yep. and you're chasing crappies, right? And for the most part, even if they're moving around, you know, you can get in front of them, and you can drill a hole, and you can, you know, you yeah. can pick off a couple from that school before it moves on. Now, I know there's exceptions. There's probably people right now going, oh, no, but Clearwater is a great example. Clearwater Lake in Minnesota, like that, the the basin crappies out there, they're on crack. And it's like it takes a crew of four with live scope to try to get on these fish, and half the time you don't because you're drilling a hole, somebody's dropping, and then the the school just takes a left turn for no real reason that you can tell because the hole's already drilled. They weren't dodging the – sound of the drill or anything you're just they're on their way they're coming to you get yep. ready Boom. right turn Clyde and you're like what the hell now they're over here 40 <laughs> yards this way you know you're just uh-huh. you're just sprinting and um so that can happen but for the most part with panfish that's that's not the case but like I said with trout right. they're always on the move like they're always, always on the move and so yeah I mean uh, like for me like so I do like we talked about I do a lot of pan fishing too and even walleye fishing I mean you're constantly on the move like I I own Several fish houses, mostly for me, they get hauled around as a thing that I put my gear in. I might set up occasionally, um, but for trout, totally different, you know, ballgame. I'm going out there specifically. I'm setting in one spot for that time period. Like, it doesn't pay to move around like it does with panfish or walleyes. Because um, those fish, like, at least in my neck of the woods, they're just coming in. They're coming in to check out a spot. They'll pass through. They're there for 30 seconds, and they're gone. Um, you're not going to stay on top of them like you could like a school of crappies or something like that. Even if you do have three, four, five trout that are kind of coming together, you're still not going to be able to follow those fish around like you would with crappies or something else. Yeah, I just don't, uh, yeah, I don't I don't feel like having that. I mean, it, sure, you could see them, and maybe it would give mm-hmm. you a warning signal with front-facing sonar. I'm talking like, oh, they're on they're I can get ready. They're coming, you know, kind of a thing, but. Oh, for sure. I bet you could, you know, as that's about the only benefit I could see other than 
if you just happen to see like you're not on the right seam or something, whereas like you're consistently seeing fish travel 50 yards away from you. Yeah. Linearly. And they're just never like their path consistently isn't coming your way. And then at that point, Mm -hmm. maybe be like, you know what, let's move over there for whatever reason. Yeah. I could see, I could see how that would benefit. I mean, like, like I said, I have it on my boat and in the summertime, um, it's helpful because you, you'll see these pods of fish and then you can cast at them versus right. a lot of times in the summertime, it's more of a trolling bite. But if you don't want to troll, you can cast at them if you can find those fish roaming around. Otherwise, you're just casting aimlessly. Yeah, and it could be, you know, if ice fishing wise, the scenario I just laid out might happen. But I feel mm-hmm. like there's also probably a point of diminishing return as far as it's a bulky system to carry around. You know, do yeah, you really want to log that thing out there? And if you're realistically, like when you're setting up in a specific area, um, at least what's worked for me is finding some kind of feature. So whether that's a weed line or it's a log that's hanging out into the water, something because it seems like they come out and they check out that area and then they move on. Um, you know, a lot of times they're roaming out in the deeper water during the day. Um, but towards like those little light periods, whether it's morning or afternoon, they're coming in, and I mean, they still do that throughout the day, too. They're constantly coming in and checking those shallow areas. So I typically try to find a weed line. like So you know if you have a weed line nearby, if you have a, a log in the water or an tr- overhanging tree, you know you have something that they're likely going to come and check out. Yeah, it seems like they just wander meaninglessly sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yep. I mean? Like, oh, you yeah. could be over 80 feet of water, and they're, you know— and they're just traveling four feet down, and you could be in four feet of water, and they're right there on the bottom, obviously, because it's at four feet, like the depth or whatever. They just seem yep. to wander for no real reason. <laughs> it's they the, do, it's yeah. the craziest thing. Yeah, I mean, I think their activity levels, like, they really ramp up when that in that cold water. It's different than other fish species. Like, I feel like trout in the summertime, especially when you catch them in these same stocked lakes, they don't bite as hard, like you can't a lot of times you can't release any of those fish because the water's too warm like they just expend all their energy and they're just dead but in the in the winter time there's no problem doing that one you know they they pull you can fight fight for a long time and and they just take off no problem yeah and in general trout are stream river fish too i think that's why you know even in lakes that they just keep i think it's just in their nature to move right they're always like they're literally constantly swimming in in a stream they don't have yep. a choice. So they're, you know, I think that's just in them to, to swim. <laughs> Even 100%, if current, yeah. current or not current. So is, are they, um, like they seem to be spooky. Do you have to be like super quiet or does that not seem to bother it, too no, much? It definitely makes a difference. I think it makes a difference with really any fish species. Um, but like the difference is with, like I mentioned, like this is one of the few times where I will sit in a specific area. So I get my holes drilled, everything way ahead of time. And then you're just sitting in that area. I'm trying not to hop around, make a bunch of noise. You're just sitting there hoping that fish come through. Um, God, that is so hard for me to do. <laughs> oh, be dude, brutally it, honest. That is so oh, it's hard for me to do too. I am one, a whole all hopper, it took was dude. One, I'm the same way, like, like panfish, everything. But for trout, it makes a world of difference, especially in your, when you're in shallow water. And like I said, most of the time, I'm under 10 feet of water. Is the, does the fish house give you an advantage outside of keeping you warm and out of the elements, obviously? But do you feel like 
uh, light entering the hole? Does that have you found? Yeah, I mean that, that matters. I don't think that makes as much of a difference because I have caught them hole hopping. Um, I to me, I think the biggest thing is it's a lot easier to be quiet when you're sitting in an area. I mean, think about when you're hopping around. Even if you're kneeling, you're constantly kind of readjusting, trying to get comfortable. You're sitting in a chair; it's easy just to not move. Um, to me, I think that's kind of the biggest advantage, and you could accomplish it, of course, with a bucket or something too. But if you're going to be set up, you might as well be comfortable. I think people underestimate how much sound travels through that ice too. Even when there's oh, for sure. even when there's snow. Um, yeah. I recall pan fishing one day where the bluegills were just so ridiculously skittish, and they were in super shallow water. I think we were under you know, eight feet. They're like really shallow in the weeds kind of a thing. And you had to be like, and that like hole hopping was not really like you still did it, but you had to walk really slowly, carefully. And even then it's like you'd get to a spot and you almost, it had to settle down for about five minutes. Like the fish would just mm-hmm. tuck in. They wouldn't take off, but they would like tuck into the weeds and then, if it was quiet long enough, then they'd start coming out, and then you'd catch them. And it'd be like you'd be working a fish on your vex or something, and your buddies start walking by, and you just have to put your hand out, like, stop moving. Yep. Don't take another step. Because we'd notice, we would notice it as they would walk up that all of a sudden that fish you're working just, boom, gone. Just yeah. shoots out, and it's crazy. It's pretty rare, thankfully, with, <laughs> with panfish, but there is – it's crazy just how yeah, much sound – goes through that ice i saw the same thing this weekend that i was in 15 to 20 feet of water um, wow it yeah it was frustrating i was just telling my buddies like you just gotta sit still that, that's your option you know the guys it, that uh, uh won the um i think it was the first upl event this year on chisago lake that's they just sat in one spot pretty much all day and he said they could see it, they could see it on their electronics that the fish would just go down to the bottom, bury them, kind of bury themselves in the weeds. You know, as teams would move in on that spot, you know, and they'd drill around, they'd move around. He's like, during that time, we hardly caught anything. And all of a sudden, you know, they would leave, and it would just be us. And about five minutes after all that sound had gone away, you'd see all these fish just come up off the bottom, and they'd start catching fish again. And they just, yeah, I was like, I could see that. <laughs> I, I give them props, man. I don't know if I'd be able – to sit still, especially in a situation like that, I'd be thinking like, "Oh, I got to be somewhere else." So I get traps to be able to have that <laughs> the self control to do that. Same, uh, I think that too. But going off of my, especially on that lake, going off of my experience, uh, we're kind of getting derailed on trout, but we'll we'll tackle this. So last year I fished Frankie's. No, was it, yeah, it was last year. The year before they didn't have it because of COVID. So last year I fished Frankie's, and you know the fish that we had found scouting, they weren't there. Even right away in the morning, the fish that we found were all excited. We thought we had a nice pot of crappies, mostly to ourselves, and they just weren't there and didn't really know why. Then after this recent UPL event, I started thinking, I'm like, you know, it very well could be that, all that pressure. You know, when that event yep. starts and it's got 50 teams or however many teams are there, and they're all zipping over my spot with wheelers and snowmobiles and side-by-sides and everything else, like – probably scattered and it seemed like that day everybody eventually towards the end of the day just kind of ended up fishing real similar spot like which basically was in the middle of this the south lake which is where everybody goes and Mm -hmm. um 
I think the pressure just kind of drives them to that deeper cover and that slightly deeper water there. It's like they're they're running from all that pressure. Oh, it makes sense. So staying still might work. Do, do I think yeah. it's realistically to think I can do that mentally? Probably not. <laughs> no, that's, that's the tough part for guys like us is convincing yourself that that's the best option. Exactly, because you're always like, they're biting somewhere else. Or I got, we yeah, gotta they go. Could be over there. Yeah, we, we gotta go. We got. We, we're wasting too much time. Gotta go. Gotta go. But I will. That's yep. gonna be in the back of my mind, though. I'm gonna have to like, it'd be interesting. Um, you know, I need to go when there's a like a, a contest I'm not in, and then fish it. <laughs> so there's, I have no risk. I have nothing yeah. ventured, nothing gained. Just pure scientific experiment. Like, I'm gonna get out here. I'm going to get out here before the tournament starts and I'm going to see, and I'm basically not even really fishing. I just want to see how these fish react to that amount of pressure. You know, that would be an interesting, it would be an interesting scientific experiment to just get out there, set up live scope, you know, get on a school of fish that, you know, get somewhere where, you know, people are going to fish or travel through would be even better. That's what I'd like Mm -hmm. to see. And then just sit there and watch your electronics as four-wheeler after four-wheeler after four-wheeler and snowmobile after snowmobile come zipping by just to see how those fish react. I think that would be a valuable scientific experiment. I might have to plan that out next year. (laughs) You'll have to let me know what the results are. I think I know what they would be, but it's worth worth experimenting. Same, yeah. And, of course, fish are fish, too, and every day is different. And some days I feel like you can river dance on their head and they don't care. They're going to smash, you know, they're just – fish are weird like that. So, you know, I could easily do that experiment once, not see a reaction, and be like, oh, yeah, well, that was bullshit. But then Mm -hmm. had it been a different day, you'd watch those fish scatter and be like, yep, I knew it. You know, that's kind of the scientific process. You'd almost have to do it multiple times and document the weather conditions and the now we're talking like it's too much work my first scenario seemed a lot easier more i think about this the more i think about this i'm gonna leave this up to the fish biologist but all right let's get back to trout so we've established so you're getting to a lake let's say you're going to a lake you've never been to before Mm-hmm. So what you're looking at is some sort of structure, like visually you're going to like, okay, there's a tree in the water or something like that. But are you looking for points, steep drop-offs, a, like a large shallow feeding flat? Like, is that literally, literally everything. So the, what I've learned, I guess, with a lot of these things is you don't have a map. So that automatically just takes you a step back from going to whatever your typical panfish like that usually would have a map. So Google Earth is a huge tool, um, especially if it's a clearer lake, because you can see these areas, you know. And obviously, when you get there, you can tell if there's a tree in the water. But when they take these, the aerial imagery, if it's a clear body of water, you can see where those shallow areas are at, where where, where there's a shallow flat, where there might be a weed line. Um, so I'm, I'm going to get the GPS coordinates, put it in my phone, put them in my handheld, and that's going to be kind of my first step. So that when I get there, I know I have some areas to look at. I'm going to try to be there before light because I want to capture that, you know, that first hour of the day and that last hour of the day are probably going to be my best bets in terms of both size and numbers, at least in my experience. So I'm going to poke around those areas, figure out what I think is best. And then I'm going to set up. 
do they do they bite at night at all, or is it just a low light, like beginning? I haven't beginning light kind the of lakes thing. by me i haven't had any success after dark okay i wasn't sure i uh, can't i can't speak to other lakes but it, at least in the ones by me they're literally zero success after dark oh one thing i do want to backtrack on what so those these lakes you're fishing they're not clear so not your stereotypical what you would think trout waters why are they more turbid like what's make what what's are they bog stained are they green like what's the clarity um, issue some of them, the one of them in particular is bog stained. I don't know why um, the other one is as stained as it is. A lot we don't have a lot of clear, clear lakes in my neck of the woods. I mean, there's a couple, but in general, clarity's a few feet at most. Hmm. That's kind of bizarre to me. But now that I think about it, we fished a lake in the Turtle Mountains that was like that. It was green. And I, yeah. would, I, would just, I was just shocked because in my mind, stereotypically, I think trout, cold, clean water. Like that, that's yeah. like, like you think of trout as like, a, um, like the canary in a coal mine for water quality, for lack of a, a better term. So like you go to a place and, and that was the first thing that jumped out of my mind and we drilled holes. I'm like, this water's green. Are we sure this is the right lake? There's trout in here? Yeah. I'm sure as shit yep. there was trout in there. We caught one, a really good one. Um. But yeah, that's that's okay. Well, so all right, back on track. So now you you're kind of you're looking for a a specific. Are you drilling a bunch of hole to find a drop, or are you just looking for a specific depth? Nope. So like I said, I'll have an area kind of planned out ahead of time, and then I'm gonna poke around. So I'm gonna drill some holes. I'm gonna figure out what I'm working with. You know, did that is that aerial imagery accurate? I mean, you know, where am I at in terms of depth here? Like I said, I try to set up. 10 feet really on the max end of things um in some of the clearer lakes like i fished in minnesota i'm fishing three four feet of water um and then in wisconsin like the lakes by me typically it's somewhere in that eight to ten seems to be the most effective um kind of intercepting them between the weed line that they're coming to check and that deeper water so usually i look for some sort of relatively shallow flat i mean obviously it's going to be relative to the lake that you're fishing, what what's considered shallow. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want access to, to deep water nearby because a lot of times what they'll do is they'll go out and they'll spend most of the day out in that deeper water, just constantly roaming. Like the, the lake that I fish the most often, it gets to like 80 feet. And so what they'll do is they'll go out there and roam over that super deep water. And then periodically throughout the day, they're just coming in up on the shallow flat, checking the weeds and then heading back out. They're just doing then, a food check. Like, they're not shadowing a school of bait fish or anything like that. They're just. Nope. Yeah, it just seems like they're coming in to see what's going on up so shallow. It's weird. Really all that they're doing. <laughs> That's just so weird to me. Just doesn't fit yeah. into my the head, like, normal no, fish behavior. No, it's totally different. No, they're just constantly on the move. It's like, I mean, fish in general are constantly on the move, but, like, trout are, like, constantly at 100 miles an hour. Yeah, they like, never sit still. It, like never. No, no, they don't like stop to check something, something else. Like they just fly through to check it out. Like it's just bizarre. Hmm. That that is so weird. All right, so now we've we've established, we found what we want. Now you set up your house, you get in there. What are you? What's your trout setup? Rod, so reel, line, lure. Yeah. Um. So on the rod end, I'm typically looking at heavy panfish rod. So whatever 
whatever your heaviest panfish rod or like lightest walleye setup is. So for me, my favorite rod is a perch seeker, which is a 32 inch medium light extra fast. So it's basically just a, a relatively stout panfish rod um, or like super light walleye rod. It's designed for perch, but it's kind of has the, the best of both worlds for, for trout. Um, it combines glass and carbon. So I like that. Obviously with, with carbon, you get the feel, but with glass, um, you get kind of that fish fighting backbone. You know, it can absorb those head shakes. So that's kind of my favorite rod uh, for trout. Using fluorocarbon most of the time. Um, I do have mono, like on a dead stick setup, but most of my fish come on, on jigging setups anyways. So I'm using three to four pound fluorocarbon. Um, and then 99% of the time, I have a 16th ounce Zyrtaco Z-Viber. So that's like that original Z-Viber that came out six years ago. I don't use it a lot for panfish, but for trout, man, does it work phenomenal. It's got that single hook on the back? Yep, almost a single hook. And once you get them pinned with that single hook, you're not losing them. Hmm. So Interesting. they're going to break your line before you before you lose them because of the hook. Wow, well, that's a that's a good tip. So that's pretty. you're using that the majority of the time. Like you're not using ice fly, yep. no tunks and jigs. No, I don't use any tungsten jigs. I do use ice flies a fair amount. Um, I always have a rod tied up with an ice fly. I always have a rod tied up with a spoon. But like I said, 99% of the time, the Z-Viber. <laughs> I just had, have had so much success with it. It's hard to hard to not use something that's worked for you. Yeah, so that goes into the thing like, uh, does it work that good? Or does it work that good because you have confidence in it and with it yeah. and you stick with and it, I, right? That's the question. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It, yeah, exactly. It is the question. I don't know. I mean, I can't honestly say like that it is strictly because the bait is that great or if it's just because I have that much confidence in it. Like I, the first day I took it out and tried it, um, I started big and used like the eighth ounce Z ever, which is kind of like a number five rip and wrap, um, a little bit smaller than that. I had no success. So I'm like, well, let's just downsize. Um, and it, it worked well for me that first time, and it's worked well for me ever since. Yeah, I mean, it kind of fall under that category of uh, uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> if yeah. If it's working. You know, that's like I don't get caught up too much in lures. Like I feel like I'm the tackle industry's like worst nightmare because yep. I don't fall into I need a shit ton of lures. I need a shit ton of colors. Like – in my experience, it's been I start with whatever I have tied on. And I mm -hmm. generally, there's only two things that are going to get me to change that. I lose the jig and I have to tie a new one on anyways. Or the fishing is that tough that now I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm grasping for straws. And what I can say yep. about those days, I can't say it's never happened, but it's rare that when I get to that stage, where I, I, I'm like, I got to change my bait color or size or whatever. It hasn't more times than not nine times out of 10, if not more, it doesn't make that big of a difference. It's just, no. a, it's just a tough day. It's my, it's my same philosophy with plastics. I've, I pretty much stick with plastics. You know, I've fished tournaments yep. and I will always grab a couple pucks of bait just to be on the safe side. And the days that it's been so tough where I've gone to bait I haven't seen a marked difference. Like it's not like no. that was a huge turnaround. The fact that I have to 
go away from my confidence bait means it's just a really tough day of fishing. And chances are it's going to still be tough no matter what I put on. Yep. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. I, I, yep. That and tournament fishing in general has, has kind of like, listen, we got 30 teams out here. So that's 60 guys all using different stuff. We come into weigh in and the vast, vast majority of people all have the same amount of fish. So right. pretty hard to say one color works better than the other. <laughs> like yeah, every I mean, color I, in the spectrum is getting used successfully. So confidence, yeah, I, I think, is confidence is greater than color. Let's put it that way. Hundred, hundred percent. It's confidence is the number one thing, especially when it comes to artificials. Like when you throw whether it's plastics, hard baits, uh, spoons, like anything that's not live bait. Confidence is the biggest factor out of anything because you'll ditch it if you go to oh, i want to try this and you try it and it doesn't work like you abandon it you get so snubbed one fast. time <laughs> i'm cutting it off you know yep. there 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 is no harder conversion in this world in my opinion than plastics from bait from a bait guy because mm-hmm. they already are hesitant they're already cynical about it they try it they don't get bit. Like you said, they get snubbed one time, like, screw this, I'm putting a waxy on. There's too much FOMO, yeah. too much fear of missing out. Like, I would have caught yep. that fish if I would have had a waxy on. It's like, mm, not sure you I, Like, I've, I've told so many people, like, the best way it worked for me, whatever, eight, nine years ago, when I basically stopped using um, things like waxies and spikes for panfish, I only brought plastics with me. That's the that's how you figure yeah, it out. You're forced. You, that's yeah. the only thing. You know, you make it work when that's your only option. Mm-hmm. It helps in a tournament setting too when you you're getting your butt kicked by somebody that's using plastics. And you're just like, oh, for sure. I'm over here like, rebating I'm... every two drops because I keep losing my euro, my waxy, and this guy's just like yeah. dropping straight back down. He's had the same plastic on for sixty fish. Right. Clearly, plastics are working because he's caught sixty fish. So. Mm-hmm. I need to stick with this. Yeah, and I must say, plastics have gotten a lot better over the years too, since the first iteration of soft plastics too. Oh, but, for sure. I mean, there's so many different styles and options. Like, whatever. Like, I, I think back ten years ago, there wasn't that many choices. No, there really wasn't. I mean, you almost like it was a while before they started making uh, plastics specifically for ice fishing. You know, you would just use. Yeah. Um, small summertime tubes or small summertime Mr. Twister, or maybe people were cutting their own out of you know I don't know the the the, the true you know leaders of the pack in the plastic world or whatever. But it was, yeah, that was kind of a slow snowball to get rolling, but it's rolling now. Yeah. It is. <laughs> it still amazes me how many people like when you see other people catching fish on plastics they can't convince themselves to try it like mm-hmm. i mean i would feel like i would miss be missing out like everybody i know is using plastics i gotta ditch this but hey it's confidence if, if you're confident in in a wax worm you catch fish it's great yeah i mean it's not i don't feel like it's a, the only hindrance to using bait is <clears throat> a you have to buy it every week b it dies c mm-hmm. it's not as tough so you just you're gonna be no. you're gonna be baiting your hook more, and so you're on a hot school of fish, and you're dicking around, you know, fumbling through your pockets, and your fingers are cold and stiff, and they don't want to work, and you're trying to thread on a you know a euro larvae, and 
you want to get back down there as fast as possible. And when all you have to do with the plastic is take the hook out and drop back down more times than not, yep. you're going to catch more fish in the end. It's yep. more, more time spent in the strike zone will always produce more fish in hand. 100%. That's, that's easy math right there. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. I'm no mathematician, but um, so uh, speaking of colors, so what are your favorite colors for the Z vibe? Have you found that that has a big impact? Um, I the only thing I think that makes a difference is the lakes that I'm fishing because they're a little more stained, mm-hmm. brighter colors. Sure, seem that's to what I was a little bit better. Kind of say, yep. In <clears throat> in clear water, I haven't noticed a huge impact on that. Do you uh, just still just fish with fish what? Yeah, do you just still, and you go to a clear lake, do you generally just start with like what you have tied on or what worked on the yeah. turbid lake too, and it just also yep. works there? Yep. Kind of yeah, backs I, up I my have point. <laughs> it does, 100%. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's really the only time when color matters is when fish can't see it as far away. Mm-hmm. So like I just opt for something that's really bright and gaudy. And I trout mean, you do, do have seem, the vibration already. Yeah, and trout do seem curious to things. Like they want to come check it out. You know. Yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of success with things that are, you know, more orange or more green, like things that really pop. It seemed to be a lot better than like a like a perch pattern or a bluegill pattern, something that blends in a lot more. It just they they seem to like something that that pops, especially in that more stained water. Yeah, trout really are kind of dumb. Like <laughs> they are. Yeah, they I are. Mean, I mean, I remember as a kid <clears throat> thinking trout were these like super elusive hard to catch fish and this is why you fly fished for them because you just had to use this ultra realistic ultra light presentation to fool them because they were just that wary and then the first time i went after them with spinning tackle and watched them basically commit suicide on anything remotely that made a flash i was Mm -hmm. like oh so you're just doing that because you want to (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah you're making yeah, really you're making this difficult i get it yep which is fine yep. I, I don't get me wrong i love fly fishing too but it's just like i just i had this perception of trout and they're so not that like they are the polar opposite of that i had the same perception too because i didn't i mean i started trout fishing 10 years ago and i remember thinking like oh man i gotta catch a trout like this that's the ultimate thing like and then i'm like oh, i caught my first trout that was easy and then catch whatever yeah. more and more and more and yeah it's catching big ones is different but like catching trout in general yeah trout they're not not definitely not the the smartest of the bunch yeah meanwhile you get that 10 11 inch bluegill right that comes up and just stares at your bait for an hour <laughs> 20 minutes like, yeah mm, i don't think uh-huh. so that looks bullshit yeah. i'm out of here <laughs> yeah and then you get blitzed by a seven incher but you know that's why the other one's 10 or 11 inches uh-huh. uh but yeah, so the, yeah, I've had that same perception of trout. So they're they're really not that. I'll, everything you're saying is like it's clicking now. It's starting to make sense. I feel like for me to go out, all my hesitation of just the unknown of doing it is, a, it's just that right. You haven't done it. There's, I feel like there's always hesitation when you go to try something new. Um, it's a weird fear because I know fear is even the right word, but it's a weird uh, hurdle to get over that kind of mental block of like, just go try it. Like who cares yeah. if you fail? Like big, that's like, that's the first time you've ever gone out fishing and not caught anything. Like, what are you, what are you so worried about? But this, it's a weird mental hurdle, but you do have to get over it to go 
try that. And then it's the, the case of, like we've already talked about, I'm a hole hopper. Uh, I'm looking at a map and, and I'm judging where I need to fish based on different game fish habits, you know, like that I've taught myself over my life. Like you see this on a map, this is where the fish will be, or this is what you want to do. This is where they're going to be. So when I head out to do the trout thing, I need to like cast most of that aside. Yes. hundred percent. You do. Uh, that's, it's also going to be yeah. difficult. <laughs> it's totally different than anything else through the ice. Like, yes, you're using similar gear to like panfish or light walleye. Like the gear is similar, but the areas you're looking at a lot of times are totally different. Like, if you're like, if that looks like a good panfish spot, there's probably not. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's probably, probably not going to be trout there. there. <laughs> yeah, like that. That's at least at least in my neck of the woods. That's exactly yeah. how it is. Like, I have never caught a single panfish in the holes I drilled for trout. Never once. That's crazy. That's just so crazy. Yep. Yeah, it's different. In the summertime, it's a different story. Like I said, you go out there, you casting at fish. Um, you're covering more water. You're going to run into crappies or bluegills or something. But through the ice, I've never once caught a crappie or bluegill in one of the same holes that I was fishing for trout. No, it doesn't seem like saying that I've never caught panfish in the same holes I've caught trout doesn't seem that weird here in Minnesota. Generally speaking, because the lakes that have trout that they stock trout usually only have trout in them. Like they don't, they're yep. not, they don't have any other kind of fish. So yeah, it would be crazy for you to catch a bluegill because they're not in here. <laughs> it's a lot of mine lakes, you know, really yep. infertile in waters. Yeah, Excuse that's me, not stuff the case like over here though. Like there's the one lake in particular. Well, actually, two lakes are chock full of bluegills. Hmm. It's blows my mind how many bluegills are in there. Are they spring fed? Like is like what is what's nope. keep like how are the how are these fish surviving? Is this like a put and are these like put and take fisheries where they're stocking yes. them knowing they're not going to make it through the summer? Yeah, there is there definitely is some holdover, but it's the the majority of these lakes are put and take lakes. Okay. Yep. So it's yep, almost always uh, a meat, it's almost always a meat mission when you go. Not for me. Unless but, you just don't want to clean I, fish, but yeah, but like I and I don't eat a lot of trout personally. I like to catch them. I might keep five an entire winter, but okay. that's it. So for me, if I let them go, that means I get to go catch them again. Sure. Are there good panfish in these trout lakes too? Like, have you ever gone there, out? I'm going for trout. Yeah. Trout isn't happening. You're like, f this. Let's go catch some gills. <laughs> no, I haven't done that. But <clears throat> like I said, in the summertime in particular, I've caught some. I mean, gills pushing ten. In, in these mm. lakes, crappies mm. in the it's 12 to 13 inch glass. So, our fish are built different over here, especially in the, the area that I'm referring to. Like, our gills are, we don't get like the super tall gills. So, you might catch a, a fish that's pushing 10, but it just looks like a stupid bass, basically. <laughs> like, just just built terrible. Those are the frustrating ones to take pictures with, right? Is you take uh-huh. it, you're like, this is a 10, and you hold it up, and you're like, that looks terrible. Like that, that yeah, doesn't, doesn't even look like, like a 10. No, no. Doesn't look hate, like a seven. Yeah. I hate those fish. And admittedly, like I take, I feel like I take the worst panfish photos because I just, I don't have the hold down. Like I look at other people and I'm like, God, that, that looks so, that fish looks so good. I catch a 10 incher and I take a picture of it 
And I know the trick of like hiding your hand and, you know, you don't want too many fingers, that point of reference kind of a thing. And I just, I don't have the technique down. And every time I'm holding a 10 inch bluegill, which is a great bluegill, even a tall one, and I hold it up to the camera and I take the picture and I look back at the picture, I'm like, that looks so underwhelming. (laughs) Yeah. But when I'm holding it in my hand, I'm like, this is such a nice gill. And I don't know if it's because my <laughs> hands totally are big or what the thing is, but it drives me crazy. Ugh. Drives me nuts. I hate uh-huh. it. I need to take a class or something. <laughs> you got to find one because I, I don't know if there is any out there. Somebody should, should start giving them lessons. I know. One of the, there's some guys out there that are pretty darn good at it. Andrew Craft, Crafty. I don't know if you follow is him he? or not, but that dude yep. takes the best bluegill pictures. He's got the hold down yeah they, but he's also in the neck of the woods where they got the giants too. yeah they're, so they're that, that helps yeah they're they're tall they're tall but got, and he's he gets the big ones here. i fish with him he's a big dude like he's oh, like he and so dude, yeah. for me to use that excuse like i don't know if my hands are too big to make this no that's not it because that dude's got mitts and yep <laughs> he's pulling it and he actually like he, he's like no you got to do this and i tried it and like the fish falls off i'm like i don't i can't hold it like that <laughs> yeah. i guess i just need more practice as i guess is what uh, it comes down to but god that drives me nuts i mean it seems like a weird frustration or a weird problem to have but you know we do these things especially if, you know social media and you, you want it to look good well and, it's just nice to like have that picture to preserve the memory to me like that's i love pictures sure. like, I'm, I'm a picture not i don't care if it gets posted on social media or not i just love a good picture like yeah well and you take great pictures in your own right like you've got yeah, thank like, you i don't know what if you're just are those just camera i don't i feel like those aren't phone pictures not all of no them, no no none of them are anymore oh okay all. i was like because they look great like these <laughs> things are like magazine pictures like they're good so it makes a huge difference having a, a big camera. It really does. Like yeah. you can take really nice pictures with any of the, you know, any of the phones in the market now take really nice pictures, but like to take it to that next level, you have to have a camera. You have to camera. Yeah. That's a whole nother thing of equipment you got to bring. So I don't know if I really want to go down that rabbit hole, but <laughs> it, it all like... depends on how, how important the picture is to you. But I like, like really good pictures and you know, for the people it, are like, it's Oh, worth it then. can you hold that fish out anymore? Like, here's the thing. It's not so much I'm trying to make the fish look bigger. Now, that's a side effect, like I said, for hiding your hands or hiding your fingers or whatever. You do lose that perspective, so it, it does end up making the fish look bigger. But what it really does is it makes the picture neater. There's less clutter. And that's what's important. For here. We're going to turn this into a photo tips section. Sure. Like, just your be aware of your background. Like, Hundred percent. You got, I mean, beer bottles behind you, or your car, or what? I was like, just move off the side, so there's nothing behind I, you but lakeshore. It's gonna look yep. so much better. There's less things for your eyes to look at, and the whole point of taking the picture is not you. The focal point is the fish. So by hiding your fingers, by hiding your arm, by hiding the less things that take your eye away from that fish, the better that fish picture is gonna look. Hundred percent. So anybody else there's throwing no, shade. no doubt about that. Yeah, I mean they just look better. There's no way. There's, I mean they just look better. Yeah, it's, you don't take a. To me, like I'm taking a picture of a fish because I like the fish, even if it's not a giant fish. Maybe it has some yeah. cool feature about it, oh, some yeah. weird coloration. Like 
that's to me that is the, the purpose of the picture is to some of my best pictures are I'm not that fish? I'm not even in it. Like I'll, I'll yeah. see a, like a really bright pumpkin seed or something and I'll just get really close and I'll you know yeah. I want to get those pictures, you know. Um one of my favorite pictures I took was just a bluegill in my hole like coming out, you know, out of the hole and it's just him like halfway out and there's the baits in his face. The ice looked cool, the lighting was neat, I don't know. And it just turned out really good. And uh got a lot of comments on social media. This artist picked it up. He's like, "Hey, he sent me a message. Hey, you mind if I if I draw this?" I'm like, "Hell no, dude. That's cool." And uh yeah, yeah he sure. he sent me the final product. I was like, "That dude is talented. Like that's crazy. That reminds me. Yep. I need to make a post of those things two side by side and give that dude a shout out cuz that dude, that was amazing." Oh, I, I got to see that. That would be really cool. Yeah, it's it's really cool. And I think it's a pencil drawing too. It's it's pretty amazing. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll try to remember to do that tonight when we get done with this. But anyway, super sidetracked. Um, is there anything? I mean, I think we've covered trout fishing. I mean, kind yeah, of the tackle I mean, you need. You go on like heavy panfish or light walleye tackle. Um, yep. I feel like they are line shy, so that fluorocarbon is smart. Now, yep. I will say, like, do you think that Z vibe works good there because there is? Also, bluegills in it because like, Z-Vibe kind of has that bluegill profile. Or have you had similar success lakes that don't even have gills in it? Yeah, I've had similar success in lakes okay. that don't have gills in it too. But I could see that making a difference. I mean, especially for big trout. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that they're cruising around eating little bluegills. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. I mean. And I haven't kept enough big trout to cut them open to see, like, are they chock full with little bluegills? But I know there's lots of little bluegills, and that's definitely the best food source um, for those fish in these lakes. Are they mo- are mostly rainbows? Pretty much all rainbows. Okay. There are some lakes that they stock brookies in, uh, and some that they stock browns in, but those are more in like further northern Wisconsin. Okay. Uh, and do you, you said you don't really do much like lake or or splake any of that kind of stuff. No, I have done splake through the ice, um, like up on Shawamigan. I've caught lake trout open water, never caught one through the ice. We don't have a lot of lake trout lakes in Wisconsin. The closest one to me is probably three and a half hours away, three hours away, something like that. Sure. Yeah, I've never, I think I've caught one, I caught a lake trout on Lake Michigan, I think. Yep. I think so. Yeah, I think so. It wasn't very big, but so I technically have caught one, but I've never really targeted much. I remember I hooked a couple from shore, from the North Shore of Minnesota, didn't land them. So, yeah, I haven't really done it much. So I was so excited to try it <laughs> this winter. And lake, lake trout is, I mean, that's almost you talking an entirely different thing altogether. Oh, yeah. Like you're you beefing know. up. Well, I mean, so for most of these lakes, you could probably get away with your walleye gear. Um, most sure. of the interior lakes, like you're not dealing with 30, 40 pounders, you know, a good lake would be, you know, uh, like if you looked at the survey, uh, uh, like a really standout good lake trout lake for the interior of Minnesota would be fish that are in the upper 20 inch class, you know, like that's, it seems to me what I've been finding with the little research I've done that you're catching them in that 17 to like 22 inch range. Yep. That's pretty standard. For whatever reason, I don't know if they just, there's not a lot of holdover. They just don't get that big. The forage base isn't there to, to grow to 
40 pounds or maybe they just haven't been in there long enough. You know, those big lake yep. trout, they take a long time to get giant well, like that. But you can sure. go to Lake Lake Spears got absolute behemoths in it. So definitely does. Yeah, even I mean Lake Michigan does too. They yeah. just don't I don't think they get as big as they do in Lake Superior, but there's just so much water there. Yeah, and that's a whole different deal too, you know, and um need to get somebody on that's more uh versed in lake trout fishing so I can do that episode too. And that's selfishly, sure. I'm just learning. Like I just want <laughs> I'm tapping into the like I want to learn cuz I want to start doing it. You know, and, yep. and I have casually over the years, you know, uh, even way back as a kid, like I'll read the articles, even though I have no gear, no intent or a way to even go target these things. But, you know, if you're a fishing nut, you pretty much will consume any and all content you can just to, you know, to feed the addiction. And so I remember, oh, so there's a lot of the basics that I do know about lakers you know you want deep water steep breaks stuff like that um but again there's just that unknown that little that same hurdle like well i've never done it it's like the more you have somebody who's actually done it tell you you kind of you kind of sap off some of their confidence you're like all right well this guy i know he's caught plenty of them and he says to do this so when you go out there you know you can kind of declutter your brain you don't have as many what ifs going on or should i be doing this you know the should i coulda wouldas there's less of that going on or at least you hope <laughs> i mean in anytime you try something new you got to be prepared to fail at least a few times oh yeah i, I think Ex- i probably expect fished, to do it i think it was either the third or fourth time i, I went trout fishing through the ice is when i finally caught my first one i mean i struck out at least a few times before i ever even caught one and then it was like oh okay i caught one and then you know maybe the other time the next time you catch two or three and then it's you just have to be prepared to fail it doesn't matter what it is yeah. if it's something you're not used to you have to have the expectation that you might fail right that's okay no it is it's definitely okay i think that's very wise counsel again it's another mental hurdle to get through um so if you had to pick you're on the spot. You can only fish for panfish or trout through the ice ever again. What are you doing? Is uh, do I get to pick the size? Because <laughs> that's the deciding factor. Yeah, like, yeah, talking, it would be, like, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not really apples to oranges, is it? Or apples no, to apples? Like, yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess I kind of got to throw that out because I get I get where you're going with that because yeah, 24 yeah. inch rainbow on the end of your line versus a 10 inch bluegill. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's a tough one. <laughs> for if I'm talking the area that I live in, um, I'm gonna go with trout. Okay. And, I, and that's a lot because I am a guy that absolutely loves crappies. I fish for crappies year round, which there's not a lot of people that do fish crappies year round, but through the ice a trout is really hard to beat there's not many things that pull as hard fight as hard as a trout does and they're cool they're just cool looking too so i yeah I you never know out. what you're gonna get i found this guy uh actually set up to do a podcast with him too and he posted this beautiful picture of this arctic char that he caught through the ice and he lives in alaska and those things are just yes oh my god like how is that real like they're, yeah, I know. they're so crazy. ornate. Uh, uh, 
I was like, bucket list fish for sure. And then that's how we started chatting. I'm like, dude, you need to be on the podcast. I need to talk about yeah. this. Because this is like, same, like live vicariously through him. Like, not real realistic me just to gallivant off to Alaska right now and go try it for myself. So in the meantime, <laughs> let's just talk yep. about it. And I'll pretend that I'm doing it. Um, <laughs> for sure. Now, with that said, I went through some of his pictures and I did find some that were more pale, you know. Yeah. And yeah, like, that's what's cool about trout. Like, there's a ton of variability. In, I mean, like, you might get one that looks like your classic rainbow trout, one that basically has no colors, one that might be super deep, dark red. Like, you literally never know until it comes up your hole. Yeah. We, the one, the one fish that we caught in the Turtle Mountains was, it was beautiful. It was a great, it was a good size. I don't remember the actual dimensions on it. Um, it was big. It was big fish. And the colors on it were just absolutely beautiful. We had lots, we had opportunities, but yep. we just, we didn't capitalize. Oh, that does remind me though. I do want to touch on one more thing before we wrap this up. Yeah. Um, your set line. What are you putting on your set line? So typically just a crappy middle, plain hook crappy middle. Um, I use just a dead stick rod that I would use for walleyes. So super soft tip, something that, that loads up so you can drive the hook home. Um, I will say that it's probably 5% of the fish that I catch over here actually come on a dead stick. Okay. So pretty It's low. not a lot. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the large majority of them are coming on a digging rod. And just haven't had a ton of success with a dead stick. Of course, you do catch some. Um, but is then, it, are you getting strikes? Is it a hookup ratio? So we had some dead sticks out, and we we're using like snare rods, and yep. they went off. But we had a hell of a time setting the hook. Like by the time yeah, we get over there, they know. had already dropped it. You know, it was yeah. And that's what I've experienced over here too. Okay. Now in Wisconsin, can't you use like those automatic fishermen where it actually sets like the rods yep. loaded up and it sets the hook for you. You can. I have not messed around with those at all. Okay. I it doesn't, just doesn't interest me. Okay. As that's much. fair. I fair enough. I think that's the only reason why. Yeah. Yeah. You de you definitely can use them. Um, I know a lot of people that do for every species. I just it it's never it interested me that much. I guess. Yeah, I could see that. I yeah, I get that. But it is also frustrating. Like we started thinking about it, and actually, I'd have to look at the North Dakota regs. I don't know if they're legal or not. And of course, it's on the res. I guess I'd have to ask the reservation dnr officer if it's legal because they kind of have their own rules up there but yep um we start we're like dude i don't know if we need the automatic fishing because we had a, a fair amount of strikes on our set rods and we just couldn't hook up it's like this is frustrating like they keep going off but by the time yeah. you get there and i've gone. experienced the same thing i know i know there's people that have a lot of success with tip-ups okay uh, just do you think it's, it's a the, little bit different think it's the resistance from yeah, like a set I rod that, versus just straight with tip up goes and it's just slack. They don't feel yeah, anything. Yeah, because I mean the, the difference. I mean even with a bait feeder, there still is more tension there than there is with a three spooling right tip up. Um, yeah, that makes so sense. I, I think it has a lot to do with it. I mean, if they feel something that doesn't feel right, they're just going to drop it. Yeah, and, and I mean relatively speaking, trout have small mouths. It's not like a crappie. Yeah, has and this ginormous mouth. They're kind of delicate, honestly. Like oh, very delicate. They, yeah, you really have to be careful with the trout. Um, yeah, when handling them for sure. Like that—that's a good yeah. thing to bring up. Like if somebody does go, obviously you're going to keep them. It doesn't matter. But if you're yep. doing catch and release, um, you like you have to 
really be aware of how you handle that fish. They do not take you drop that fish. It's probably screwed. Like it, it's yeah. they do they do not take abuse at all. No, it's uh, for a fish that pulls as hard as they do. They they do not do well with overhandling. You yeah. look at like them wrong. They start your hands wet. Yep. Like if I know I'm like. You know, catch a big fish i'm not gonna keep any like staying in one area i'm gonna drill like a little ice well type of thing because then as soon as they get that fish out i'm putting it in there gives me time to get my camera ready do whatever sure. i need to do That's a good idea and that fish is always in the water like and you know you can release it yep and you got keeping it then it doesn't really matter be really but... careful on their gills like i swear to god you look at them wrong and they just start bleeding like they, they, they... yeah uh, yeah, they're they're super fragile. So that's a good that's a good idea. The the ice well thing. I never really thought about that. I suppose you could do the same thing with a cooler. Um, just to you could, make, you definitely make could, sure yeah. you just keep them wet um, mm -hmm. while you get everything set up. That's a great idea, actually. Uh, yeah, I use them a lot, especially for trout or like I'm targeting big panfish sure. and stuff. Fish I know I'm not going to keep. Which yeah, gives me plenty of time. Like not rushing anything and. Mm -hmm. uh, just let the fish sit in there and kind of just chill and you know you got plenty of time to get a picture and get them back right um it's another good point to bring up was um crap i forgot what i was gonna say what are we talking about ice well handling fish oh hell i lost it i think oh has nothing to do with it actually <laughs> just the set rod and just just to say it to cover my bases in minnesota it is it's not legal to use uh live bait on a designated trout stream lake yes just so people know that <laughs> yep wisconsin different. minnesota different. totally different regulations because mm -hmm. you yeah, can use uh, three lines in wisconsin on the ice yep three lines right. through the ice and yep. actually i think I don't. I don't and even he, think it really matters much as far as the set line thing goes because I think in Minnesota, it's one line for trout. I think I could be wrong about that. I I honestly don't remember, but I think you might be right on that too. On designated stream trout lakes. Yep. I think it's one line. Almost yep. positive. And the difference over here too. You know, your trout season I believe opens what January January fifteenth. Yep. 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 So ours is is open. It just follows the game fish season. Oh, okay. That, right that excludes the trout streams, but like any of the lakes that are stocked with trout, sure. It just follows the game fish season. Is that a really weird, like, um, geographical oddity? At least it is, in my opinion. Like that Minnesota Wisconsin border, as far as mm -hmm. stream trout goes, like Wisconsin, the entire state is covered in trout streams. Oh yeah, top to bottom, left to right. You get a, you get a. That it's a book you get from the state of Wisconsin, the trout stream. Yeah. It's a book broken down in areas. Like I love it. It's actually great because it's all the streams are all color coded. It tells you what's in it, what the regulations for that stream are. Like super helpful. I actually like the way they do it. You cross that border, you cross the Saint Croix River until you get to the southeastern part of the state. There ain't shit for trout streams in Minnesota. Like, I no, don't it's it either northeast or southeast. That's like really it. That whole St. Croix, Minnesota border, it's just, it boggles my mind. Every squiggly mm -hmm. line to the east has trout in it. The majority of yeah. squiggly lines to the west, nope. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what? How, what? How is, what? It's weird. Yeah, I mean, I can, like, within 20 miles of my house, there's 
a bunch of trout streams, like a bunch. And not all of them have a lot of fish, but they all have at least some. Yeah, yeah. That's that's just a crazy weird thing that I mm-hmm. noticed <laughs> when back when I was much more into stream trout fishing than than I have been as of late. Did I did get down a couple times this year? Uh, we had such fluctuating water levels this year, down at least down in the, the whitewater area, which is where I was fishing. Down yep. in Rochester, kind of, and it's like you get on there one day and it's nice and clean and flowing good, and the next thing is you get one storm and it's just blown out. You're like, what the heck? Oh, this for sucks. sure, it can make a huge difference. Yeah, it's it's, it's nuts. And I don't know if it's that way in your neck of the woods because if there's that ag land is just it's different because everything just runs off and it becomes turbid right away. You know, I feel like if it rains in the woods, it's not as bad. You know, those streams yeah. don't seem to blow out as easy. No, I would agree with that. Yeah, more filtration, I guess, or yeah, I guess that's what it has to be, right? It's flowing across the ground is just one giant filter, I suppose, sucking yeah, it all it has up. More, more, yeah, more to go over. Right, 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 right. Well, Blake, I think we covered the bases on the trout fishing. Um, yeah. We really want to get into it's already over an hour. If we want to talk panfish, we can. Um, I did want to mention that. So. Um, you work with Norfin USA. Yep. Right. Uh, I'm yep. a staffer, so yeah. I, I've missed the last two years of the little get together. Just always the yep. scheduling conflict, and it really pisses me off. But it is what it is. It is what it is. It, but that's how it goes. I do want to kind of. I'd like, and I wanted to say that in full disclosure because I do want to kind of make, just wrap this up with a nice little like Norfin commercial. I'm not getting paid yeah. for it, but I like the stuff, the reason I reached out and then, you know, started staffing for Norfin is because it's awesome. Like those, those, the boots are what got me. The boots are the gateway drug. They, they really are. <laughs> I mean, that, I think that it is for a lot of people. Like you look around, I look four years ago when we first brought when the first company first came over here, like there's people who knew about Norfin, but mostly it was like tournament guys, you know, guys that fish NAIFC, UPL, whatever. They were familiar with the boots. Now I look, I mean, I, everywhere I go, I see Norfin boots now, like just Dude, random well, people. When you're fishing any like Minnesota made when I was in and you're, you're whole hopping, you're putting on miles, like legitimately putting on miles. Yep. And, you know, you can make it analogous to backcountry hikers, right? This anything you can reduce the weight of your pack, the easier it's going to be on you at the end of the day. And yep. there's no more obvious example of that, in my opinion, than in the footwear. Because in general, you know, cold weather boots, they're heavy. They're thick. They're insulating. You want your feet to be warm. So that comes with weight. And I remember the first time I held a pair of those Norfins and somebody was telling me about them, and I'm like, man, there ain't no way. And I picked one mm-hmm. up, and I was like, what the hell? I was like, these keep your, <laughs> I was like, these keep your feet warm? They're like, heck yeah. I'm like, do they, though? Like, mm, yep. I feel like you're just paid to say that because right. I'm not buying it, dude. I'm not, I'm not buying it. And then I tried a pair, and I was like, holy shit balls! like this. Damn. Yeah. I, I have owned a lot of boots. For whatever reason, my feet always get cold. They were always, always cold. I 
I can count on one hand how many times my feet have been cold wearing the Norfin boots. And usually the reason is because I did dry them out. Because that, that's one thing you'll notice about the, the liners in these boots versus other boots that have liners. Basically what they're doing is they're pulling the sweat away from your feet. So if you pull that liner out, you're going to feel that that liner is wet. You might have a pool of sweat below there. Um, put them on a boot dryer, wear them the next day, your feet aren't going to be cold. So I started doing that too. And I know the same way. Like my feet started getting cold at some times. And then um, I think it was like during the virtual ice show. I think you mentioned it when we had you on. You talked and you brought up this exact same fact. And I was like, I don't have to try that. And I kept forgetting. And then one time I came home. And I was like, oh, I'm going to take my liners out. And I took them out, and they weren't wet on the inside. But the yep. outside of the liner, the liner between the outside of the liner and the rubber itself, it was soaked. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was like, oh, my, my God. Like, mm-hmm. this is crazy. It's like now I've just kind of gotten into the habit of when I come in, I take my boots off, I take the liners out. I just, yep. ta- I just take. That's yep. just that's just part of that's just my process. I just take them out, and since I've started doing that, feet do not get cold. And it, the other thing no. I'll say, and this is part. So, you can talk socks, you can talk all that stuff, and I think a lot of people, you know, it seems to make sense. Like if you wear thicker socks, your feet have more insulation, and it's actually backwards. You want more trapped air. And so what I've been wearing lately is almost like dress socks. Yeah, your feet breathe really well in them. You have more room in the boot, um, and since I've started doing it, I, my feet just don't get cold anymore. So yeah, not, it makes a huge difference. They're never That's wet. That's why, like, I have a ton yeah, of room in the thin, boot. Yep, the, your yeah, foot's like not constricted. Thin, yeah, but like the thin merino wool socks. That's mm-hmm. that's where it's at. Like you said, they're almost like dress socks. Yeah, just those really thin ones are. They make a huge difference in keeping your feet warm. Yeah, that 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 can't be overstated either. Um, as no, much as it, I would, as much as I would like to give the boot a hundred percent credit because it is a great boot. It's like the yep. your your socks first line of defense. You know, hundred oh, percent. They, they say cotton kills. You know, and that's a, that's a true statement for sure. But yeah, merino wool, some, you know, like some kind of blend. Just don't go too thick. You know, unless you yeah. have even bigger boots you know oversize your boots that's the other tip i give people you know i might wear a 12 in a shoe i'm gonna get a 13 boot yeah i want it's not gonna hurt no i want that extra room and mm-hmm. i remember spending a shit ton of money on these hunting boots and they were cabela's whatever and they're rated to like i don't know they were like 1500 grams of thinsulate they're rated to like 60 below zero and my feet got cold in them every time I got so frustrated, but they fit like yep. ten, they fit like tennis shoes. Then I put right. wool, then I was putting wool socks in them, and so my feet were completely constricted. I didn't yeah, know. I didn't. I, I didn't. Difference. I didn't know back then. And then I started hearing about you know you want bigger boots, and the next pair of like warm boots I bought, I, I bought them a size bigger. Never looked. Another back. thing. Never had a problem. Another thing I will say with boots, I've seen way too many people do this. You're going to drive an hour, and they put all their stuff on before they even go. Oh yeah, if, you're, don't if do everything's that. sweating before you're there, <laughs> you are going to be cold. There's no gear. I mean, I yeah. can it. Like, no, I always dress wait, when I get there. Same. It, I mean, it makes a huge difference. Just mm-hmm. wait till you get there, then put on all your warm stuff. 
you're not going to be sweating. So it's a, a big difference maker. Yeah, that's that's huge. That's another thing that I failed in hunting too, where it's like, oh my god, it's it's ten below zero outside. I got to dress really warm, and then you hike to your your deer stand and you're sweating. You're like, well, yeah. I'm going to be cold in a half hour. But it's like uh-huh. the idea of hiking to your for one, it's a pain in the ass to carry your hunting clothes with you. Two, it's cold. Like when you first get out of your vehicle or your house, whatever, it's cold. Like, are you yes. telling me you want me to hike to my tree stand in a hoodie? You're out of be out of your damn mind. Except for uh-huh. you absolutely should hike to your stand in a hoodie. You should be cold on the way to your stand. Because yeah. that are means we, if you're yeah. cold, you're not sweating. And I would say the yeah, same that's thing. That's what you want. To bring it to ice fishing, if you do have to do what I have to do this winter and, and hike out to your fishing spots, be cold. Throw you know, throw your coat, and that's what I've been doing. I've been taking my coat and throwing it in my sled, or just draping it over my head if I don't bring a sled out, and I put it on when I get there because yeah, it takes about twenty yards of hiking through the snow, pulling pulling your gear before you're sweating. And, yeah, it doesn't take long. And then you get to where you're at, you drill your holes, and you slow down, and now you're cold because you're uh-huh. sweating. I mean, it's again, it goes back to that easy math. Yeah, that brings me into the the suits themselves, the Norfin suits. I took the liner out, and I have the it's not it's got the heat button on it, but I know I didn't get the one with the heated thing in it. Me personally, yep. I can't see a single situation where I would ever want to use a heated jacket. As I got hot, I took that liner out one year, and it's never gone back. Yeah, I just the only thing used for the me shell. is that I would say, I, I see, I'm the opposite. I, I'm not a huge fan of wearing a jacket when I fish. So I wear the liner just because you have that much more mobility, I guess. It's more like a hoodie mm, than a... I gotcha. Well, I think I usually wear, so, I wear a hoodie and... Yep. Uh, and I wear it like the Kenders Hole Hopper hoodie. And I throw a different maker out there, but it's uh, yep. those things are great and they're super yeah. insulating and protecting from the wind and stuff. So I'll use that. So I don't don't usually wear a jacket either. Like if I'm throwing my outer shell on, it's it's cold. It's cold. Yeah, <laughs> it's that. real. No, I totally cold. get that. Yep. Yeah, I, I I generally don't like that extra bulk either, which is another thing I liked about the Norfin um, bibs. They're not super bulky. But, no, they, they're very, very light for what they are. And it, mm-hmm. it really surprised me when I got my first set. Just, I mean, I've had every other major brand on the market and how much lighter they were. I just, I'm like, these, they're not going to keep you warm, but right. they did. Yeah, I didn't really intend for this to be a Norfin commercial, but I didn't want to touch on it just because the people out there yeah. that follow both of us, they're going to they're gonna know. I didn't want it to avoid the elephant in the room kind of thing. But also, I do want to... <laughs> I, I did want to put some light on the product because as you know, you know, that's something we can touch. I don't know if you, how much time you have. I got a couple more minutes is all. Okay. Well, we won't get too deep. I'll just like, I just wanted to bring it up because there is, um, that whole like pro staff thing, right. That gets, there's a lot of people and I've seen with my own two eyes, they pro staff for a company. They don't actually use that shit. They like, yeah. I've seen it with augers. I've seen it with suits. I've seen it with lures, all sorts of stuff. You know, they'll take the pictures with it. And this just, it's disingenuous. I don't like it. I don't like this style. This, I pro staff for products that I use and that I believe in. And that's yeah, what I just wanted to kind yep. of air that out. So there was no like, 
I love it. The people I talk to in private, not with the microphone, I say all the same stuff I'm saying right now. So I just, in full yeah. disclosure to my audience as a, hopefully a selling point, you know, if you're in the market, you know, and if you're happy with whatever you have, then by all means, stay with it. I'm not telling you to, to swap, but if you've been kind of yep. like, I want to see what else is out there, definitely, you know, in the next size show. give it a look. Yeah. Yeah. Try them on. Dude, gateway drug. Put the boots on. It's over. <laughs> they they make a huge difference. I mean, that. Keep your same suit. Me too. Just buy better yep. boots. And I'm telling you right now, with, without saying other brand names, the, the other brand name I had, they were like Freddie Munster boots. Did they keep my feet warm? Sure did. But I was carrying an extra 10 pounds around that I didn't need to. I can tell you that. Cool. It's kind of like when yep. uh, lithium batteries first came, when they came out. The first time you put a lithium battery in your Vexlar or your Markham or whatever, and you start hole hopping, you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I thought these yeah, were expensive, very, but they're yeah. not compared to the value because this is amazing. That's a very, very good comparison. I, yeah. I don't know if I've heard somebody say that before, but that's a very good comparison. I, I honestly don't think I could think of a better better way to say that because it, it really does make a difference. Like. Sure, it might only be a few pounds of difference, but when you're wearing a few pounds on your feet all day long, it's a big difference. It's noticeable right away. It's for sure yeah. noticeable after a full day of fishing. Yeah, 100%. definitely is. Yeah. All right. With that, let's let's uh, go ahead and end it, uh, Blake. That was awesome. I appreciate. It. If there's anything else you want to pitch out there or your social medias, go ahead and throw them at everybody. Sure. Um, Instagram is usually the best way to get a hold of me. It's just B Tollison Fishing on Instagram. Um, I really appreciate you having me, Dale. Yeah, it's fun. fun. Fun to talk fishing. Always, always is. All right. Well, uh, good luck. Be safe out there. And one of these days, next next year, I just need to put it on the calendar and, and treat it like a holiday and or a birthday and yep. stick to it. I got to get out there with the rest of the crew. It looks like so, when I look at the pictures, it looks so like so much fun. It's, it's, it's good to have everybody together. Yeah. Yeah, those things are always fun. So, All right, dude, we will talk to you another time. All right, thank you, sir. Thanks, buddy. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby, 6-8 Western. Oh, a mule there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.